Tonight, if you have a Bible, which I hope you do, there's some Bibles by uh, the exits. We're going to be looking at Revelation chapter 22 in a few moments. That's where I'm going to end up. And then I'm going to be looking at several passages of Scripture prior to that, uh, leading up to Revelation uh, chapter 22. And as we go to the Lord in prayer, I'm going to give you an opportunity to to wait upon the Lord and reflect upon some ways that God showed himself faithful to you and your family this year. I know life is busy and we're going from one thing uh, to the next. And this is an opportunity to pause. Uh, In the Psalms, uh, as you're reading the Psalms, you'll see this word Selah. It's S-E-L-A-H. And you may be wondering, what does that mean? Why is that there in the Psalms? And it literally means to stop and pause and to reflect. And that's this moment to think about the Lord and, and his faithfulness. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness in our lives. Lord, each morning of, of this year, your mercies have been new to us. You've provided for our needs. You've seen us through joy and, and struggle and sorrow. And as we wait upon you, God, would you just bring to our hearts and minds ways that you have been faithful, things that you've been showing us and teaching us. So, Lord, we wait upon you and we just take a few moments to, to reflect. If there's a verse that comes to mind that is the verse for 2015, you know, reflect upon that in your heart. Allow God to speak that into your life afresh. And Father, now as we look at the promised return of your son, would you fill our hearts with hope? We welcome your Holy Spirit here. Holy Spirit, lead us and guide us in truth. And we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. This is going to be a message of hope as we look to the second coming of Jesus Christ. Christ's second return, when he rules and reigns upon the earth, is what we look forward to. It's the explanation point of of all of Scripture. As we have celebrated the first coming of Jesus Christ at Christmas, as we go into the new year, we look for his soon return. Something that has been a prayer of mine, a desire of mine, I think it's of yours as well, is that in my life and in our church and in the body of Christ throughout America, is that there would be a great awakening. Meaning that we would be alive spiritually, that we would be in love with Jesus Christ, that we'd be living our lives to the absolute fullest, And I think that more so than ever, that's become clear to me of exactly how the Lord would desire to do that, and that's being awakened to his love. That we would be awakened once again of how much that God loves us, that he is our father. And as that epiphany is refreshed in our lives, as we come into contact with that once again, our lives are filled up with the love of God, and then we can turn others on to the love of God. But we live in some very desperate times, some very uncertain times. People are filled with fear, even panic, completely overwhelmed, looking for answers. And so I've entitled this message tonight, Making Sense of It All. Making Sense of It All. As we look at events and current events that are happening in this last year and happening even this evening, we're going, well, what sense is there in all of this? Is there a plan? And is God working? And it's so important to look at current events through the lens of Scripture and through the lens of prophecy. In Revelation, it says this, that the spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus Christ. 
What does that mean? We think of testimony, it's witness. So what's the witness of Jesus? It's prophecy. What sets apart the Bible is the fact that we have so much fulfilled prophecy. All of God's promises are true. A lot of the promises have already been fulfilled. There's some that haven't been fulfilled. And it's encouragement to our hearts and our lives when we see fulfilled prophecy. So don't think of prophecy as a bad word. Don't think of prophecy as something that you shouldn't study, that you shouldn't press into. Though there have been those that have taken prophecy to an extra biblical level or an out of bounds level. We're not going to name dates. We're not gonna, we don't know when Christ is going to return. Jesus said, no one knows the day or the hour except for the Father himself. And so there is that biblical balance when it comes to prophecy. But if I could speak to your heart, to challenge my own heart this evening, is it's such a time as this. This is the time for us to be alive, to be engaged in God's plan, to be fully alive in the love of God. You remember Esther. The Jewish people were being threatened to be annihilated. She had been placed by God in the position of being queen. Mordecai, her uncle, comes to her and says, you've got to be the advocate. You've got to go intercede before the king. She was wrestling. If she goes, it could mean her life. And Mordecai says, it's for such a time as this. God has raised you up for such a time as this. Esther, if you choose not to step out, God will raise up deliverance through another means. But if you do choose to step into the things that God has for you, this is the purpose for which you were born. And thankfully, God doesn't need us, amen? He's gonna do his work with or without us, but he delights to use his people. He has a plan for your life. He wants us to engage with his mission. I don't know when Christ is gonna return. I know that we're supposed to be looking and anticipating his return, but I do know this, that we're living at a very pivotal time, a very pivotal time in history where God is desiring to win people to Jesus Christ. I think people are looking for answers. They're longing for love. They're longing for hope. And so reach out into the things that God has placed before you in your neighborhood, with your family, in your workplace. The book of Acts is all about a group of people, normal people, that had fallen in love with Jesus Christ and were willing to follow the lead of the Holy Spirit. And that's it. What's the Holy Spirit? What is the Holy Spirit directing you? Not what others are directing you, is what's the Holy Spirit encouraging us to do and stepping out into those things. So there's three points in our message tonight. It's gonna be understanding the times, understanding the signs, and then understanding his return. I've been thinking about time. Do you ever have uh, those moments where you tend to dive into a topic on a deeper level? I do, I have those times, and it's not safe for me to drive during those times. Because all I can do is think about this, this topic that's gotten into to my heart and, and into to my mind. A lot of times with the concept of time, we almost get this understanding or this belief that we kind of control it because we monitor it. You know, we've got our watches on our phones, and now there's the Apple Watch, and there's the Fitbit, and, and we know how to monitor time. But time is God's deal. And God is the one who has given us time, has instituted time. You look in Genesis when God created the heavens and the earth, and we see that there's this cycle, this 24-hour period cycle where the sun goes up and the, and the sun goes down, and God's got this rhythm 
of time. And there's a lot of reference to time throughout scripture. Moses, he wrote a psalm. He wrote a song. We don't think of Moses, the prophet, as a songwriter, but he wrote Psalms 90, and he said, Lord, teach us to number our days so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. He's talking about understanding time. He's saying, God, help me to understand that my life is short. We find in Ecclesiastes 3, Song of, or Solomon, who also wrote the Song of Solomon, he penned this about time. He says, everything there's a season, a time for every purpose under heaven, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to weep, a time to laugh, and he goes on from, from that point. He's saying there's specific seasons in our lives. Jesus lived his life understanding time. He lived it on a divine stopwatch. You remember when his mom wanted him to turn water into wine. What did he tell her? He says, woman, my time has not yet come. What was he referring to? When he would do miracles, when he would be seen as God's son, he says, I'm not ready to enter into that time. Then we go into John chapter 13, just prior to his crucifixion. He says, now before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Did you catch that? That his time was to depart, that his hour had come. He lived his life with the crucifixion in in view. John 17, verse 1, Jesus spoke these words, and he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son. Your son also may glorify you. He understood time. He understood his purpose. He understood that he was going to the cross. What's interesting is there's a group in the Old Testament out of First Chronicles. So when was the last time you were just reading First Chronicles? Honestly, it, that first 12 chapters of 1 Chronicles is some of the most boring in all of Scripture, if I can say that. It, it's the listing of all of the names and, and just all the tribes and all the names. And then in the middle of this, in 1 Chronicles 12, verse 32, it says, Of the sons of Ishakar, who had understanding of the times, to know what Israel ought to do, their chiefs were 200 men and their brethren were at their command. So the sons of Ishakar, they're noted for all of time as being men who understood the times and they knew what Israel should do. So here's the challenge tonight is do we understand the times that we live in? First, to know that our life is short. We can all agree on that. Amen? If you've gotten in a car accident, you know how short and how impactful that moment is, and it can change your life in an instant. Maybe your health hasn't been the same since that moment. You've lost a loved one. It's quick. It happens. Life is completely short, and we need to understand that and live our life appropriate to it, but then also to understand that this world is limited, that this world has a timetable that is placed upon it. Jesus often referred to the fact that this earth is going to pass away, but the word of God will dwell forever. In light of eternity, this world is just like a Christmas tree. If you still get an old-fashioned, real Christmas tree, it's so fresh when you get it off the lot, and it's so exciting. We enjoy doing that as a family. We always get ours at Home Depot, 
and they give us the twine and they cut the bottom of the Christmas tree, put it on the top of the minivan. And I test my tying skills that aren't very good every year. It's about the only time I have to tie something down. And no, I wasn't a Boy Scout. I didn't get the knot tying merit badge or any of those things. And it's such an exciting day to, to set it up, isn't it? And then all of a sudden, no matter how much water you put into that thing, it gets dead as a doornail. And its glory is very short-lived. And our lives, the glory of our lives is very short-lived compared to all of eternity. But so is this world. This world has an expiration date that God has put upon it. And as you're reading Revelation, you see that there's a thousand years where Christ rules and reigns. There's the great white throne judgment. And then it says that the earth passes away and there's a new heaven and there is a new earth. So we have to understand time from our little lives, but also from this world that it is limited. And when we understand that, then I think we know what we're to do. Isn't it easy to get so distracted in this life? I've got these financial pressures I got to figure out work. I, some of you that are in college, I've got to figure out my career. I've, I've just got to try to get through, through life and meet the, the basic needs. But there's so much more to that. There's knowing God's love. There's sharing God's love. There's engaging God's mission. And so understand time first. And then the second thing is this, the signs of the times. Could it be through scripture that God gives us clear signs leading up to the rapture of the church and the second coming of Jesus Christ. And you may be saying, well, what's the rapture? I hear this word rapture, but, but what is it? In 1 Thessalonians 4 and 5, it says that Jesus is going to come in the clouds and those who are in Christ and alive will be caught up with Christ and forever be with the Lord. That means you don't die. You just instantaneously go to be with the Lord and to forever be with the Lord. And then the dead in Christ, those who are in Christ, they resurrect and have their glorified bodies. And it's caught up in the New King James Version. And Latin word is raptuso, where we get the English word rapture. So you won't find the word rapture in the Bible. You'll find caught up, but the concept is there and the truth is there. And I believe the rapture of the church is going to happen before the great tribulation described in Revelation because there in 1 Thessalonians, it, it tells us that we're not appointed unto wrath, but unto salvation. The tribulation is called the wrath of the lamb. Jesus took the wrath for us. I believe the wrath of the lamb is poured out on a Christ-rejecting world. At the end of that seven-year tribulation, we see the second coming of Jesus Christ where he tells us where he's going to land. If you're wondering where is Christ going to return, right on the Mount of Olives where he ascended up to heaven. The angel comes and tells the disciples just as Jesus ascended, he will descend. The Mount of Olives is going to, to split open and Christ will rule and reign for a thousand years. So two different events, the rapture of the church and the second coming of Jesus Christ. And are there signs leading up to this? Absolutely. There's a bunch of them in scripture. And I'm just gonna touch on a few of them this evening and we're gonna look at some current events and how it plays into these signs. Now, I may not have these current events right. I may not be interpreting these current events right. Ultimately, I'm a tall, skinny guy with a big nose. What do I know, right? But this is what I can tell you, is it's all leading up to this. It's all going to point to these things ultimately, and that's what puts hope in our hearts. So the first signs of the times comes from Ezekiel 38, 
Why don't you go ahead and turn there with me in your Bible. Keep a thumb in Revelation chapter 12. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, the prophet, chapter 38. I think of all of the signs for this particular year in 2015, this is the one that I keep my eye on the most, that I look at most specifically. And what we find here in Ezekiel chapter 38 is a group of nations, a coalition of nations that at some point in the future is going to gather together an alliance and they're going to attack Israel. And their intent will be to destroy Israel. And then God intervenes. And we see that at the end of the chapter from verse 18 and on, where God is going to come in defense of his people. And so when we look at signs of the times, we look at these group of nations that will come together. So let's look at verse one and we'll read down. Now the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, set your face against Gog of the land of Magog the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal, and prophesy against them. And say, thus says the Lord God, behold, I'm against you, O Gog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. I will turn you around, put hooks into your jaws, and lead you out with all of your army, horses, and horsemen, and speedily clothed a great company with bucklers and shield, all of them handling swords. Persia, Ethiopia and Libya are with them, all of them, with the shields and the helmet. Gomar and all of the troops and the house of Togarma, from the far north and all of its troops, many people are with them. People, prepare yourself and be ready, and all of your companies that are gathered about, and be on guard for them. And you can go through later on tonight, read the rest of the chapter, see God's promised judgment upon that. But let's look at these nations. What are these nations that are mentioned? Magog, we know to be Russia. Russia's lineage is Magog. Persia, does anybody know what Persia is? You should know. Iran. Iran throughout history has been known as Persia. It's been in recent history that they've changed their name to Iran. Ethiopia, in some of your translations, uh, may be translated as Cush. Ethiopia is ancient Ethiopia, and it expands a large territory there in North Africa, which would include Sudan and Somalia and current-day Ethiopia. Libya, some of your translations may say put, that's northern Africa. Gomer is believed to be eastern Europe, and Togarma is Turkey. Now what's fascinating about this is at some point in the future, these nations are going to come together, according to Ezekiel 38, and they're going to go after Israel's spoil. They're, they're going to go after the, all of the resources that, that Israel has. Turkey up until 2010, was an ally of Israel. So if we were studying Ezekiel 38, say New Year's Eve 2008, that wasn't very long ago, 2009, we go, I don't know how this is going to work out because Turkey and Israel are supposed to be at odds, but they have this great friendship together. But that quickly, in a week, dissipated, and now they are no longer allies. Ezekiel 38 coming to play before our very eyes. The one that's most fascinating for 2015 in regards to Ezekiel 38 is Russia and Iran. If you know their history, they've had a lot of tension 
But this year, they're getting along, and they're getting along real well. If you notice just in the news uh, this week that Iran, in their agreement with their nuclear weapons, gave their uranium to who? Russia. That's real comforting. It's like, wow, this is a great deal, isn't it? Look, Iran really wants to play nice. Just give all of your uranium to, to Russia. Russia and Iran are together as allies to attack ISIS. And in understanding this, we, ISIS is Sunni, and then Iran is Shiite. And so Iran is going against ISIS, and Russia is going against ISIS as well. But there's a lot more at play there. Russia and Iran want dominance of the Persian Gulf, and most of the oil of the world goes through the Persian Gulf. So we're seeing biblical prophecy be fulfilled before our very eyes. There's obviously some tension between Turkey and Russia. Turkey just recently shot down a a jet, a fighter jet of Russia, and so there's some tensions there, but they are still working together at this common enemy of, of ISIS. We're finding all of northern Africa being linked together by what? Radical Islam. So radical Islam is joining those groups together. Libya, Ethiopia, Somalia, Sudan is all being linked together by radical Islam. Not, I'm not saying everybody in those territories is a radical Islam. That, that would be a, a misunderstanding. But we do see that radical Islam is on the spread in those regions. So when you th- see things happening in the Middle East, you have to see it through the lens of Ezekiel chapter 38. But we're seeing this be fulfilled before our very eyes. I'm going to quickly go through a few more. So hopefully you've got a, a pen tonight. We find Jesus telling us in Matthew 24, verse 7, that nation will rise up against nation and kingdom against kingdom. The word nation in the Greek is ethos. It means ethnic group. It's ethnic group against ethnic group with all the ways that society has supposedly progressed, you would think that there would be a real diminishing of racism and prejudice. Ethnic group against ethnic group, but this year, current events in our own country, we've seen an explosion, unfortunately, of racism. And that's a sign of the times. As we continue to get closer to the second coming of Jesus Christ, we're going to find more ethnic groups rising up against other ethnic groups. Now let me speak to this. If you're in Christ, if you know Christ as, as your Savior, as it has no place in the heart of a believer. Because we're made in the image of God. And so God has created all of the ethnic groups. And there should be nothing but love in our hearts towards every group of people, and it should never reside in our hearts. It's tragic because we're actually hating God's creation. We're hating an expression of God's image, but unfortunately, we see a real rise in the prejudice that's taking place and the racial divide that is, that is taking place. And that's where the gospel and the love of Jesus Christ goes in. And that's what I love about the church of God is it breaks down those racial divides, amen? We all come together at the foot of the cross and worship Jesus Christ. 
I think the apex of this in our own country, unfortunately, this year was the shooting that took place in South Carolina. You see a white supremacist going into an African-American church uh, and shooting people, and it was driven by his hatred of race. And, and, that, and he expressed that, and then we see scripture being fulfilled in front of our very eyes. Also, in Matthew 24, verses 36 and 37, a sign of the times is that it will be like the days of Noah. This is verse 36. But of the day and the hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. So what was it like in the days of Noah before the flood? If you go back and you read, in Genesis, you find two things that it was filled with sexual perversion and it was filled with violence. And what are we living in today? We're living in a culture of sexual sin, sexual perversion, and of extreme violence. In June of this year, we found a real pivotal decision that took place in our country by our highest court of the Supreme Court that redefined marriage to say that marriage is now between a man and a man, a woman and a woman, a man and a woman, and traditionally throughout our country, marriage has been defined the way that God has defined it between a man and a woman. And I know that this is a controversial thing to bring up, but God in his wisdom in Genesis 1 and 2 says that he created male and female. And when he defines marriage, he defines it inside of that context. And why I bring this up is it's one thing for there to be sexual perversion inside of a society, and then it's another thing for that sexual perversion to be ratified by the government as saying this is acceptable and this is legal and this is the same as marriage between a man and a woman. Now, for me to say that, please understand this, that God's heart of love is for everyone and that Christ has died for everyone. And when God gives us a plan for sexuality, he gives us the very best plan. And there's homosexual sin, there's heterosexual sin, and anything that is sex outside of marriage between a man and a woman is missing God's best. But until the second coming of Jesus Christ comes, we're gonna continue to see, unfortunately, more and more sexual perversion because it lines up with the days of Noah. But again, I'm pointing this out from a current events perspective. We've seen a huge change in that again this year. If you look in a perspective of just a 10-year perspective, just go back 10 years to 2005 going into 2006, we have seen society hit the accelerator on sexual perversion. I mean, just as fast as you can possibly put it. We're seeing changes take place that we never thought we would see take place, and it is affecting society, it's affecting hearts and lives, and a part of us being awakened to God's love is in our own lives as believers, because as believers we struggle with sexual sin. It's easy for us to, to point the finger, but then to look at our own hearts and lives and say, God, I want to walk in purity. I want to be as close to you as I possibly can. I want to experience your best in this, in this area. And so this is a sign of the time. Another is violence. And we could look at a lot of current events that would, would point to the proof that this is taking place, that there's more and more 
violence and love is, is growing cold. It, hearts are becoming hard. But what I think really is the top of this is the kind of violence that we're seeing inside of family. Because there is a certain level of love and respect that you would think would be there between husband and wife, that you think would be there between parents and children. And again, I don't want to go into details. You've all seen it in the news. But, but what we're seeing parents do to their own children and, and the kind of murder and homicide that's taking place with parents with, with their own kids, it's absolutely baffling. It's, it's mind-blowing. We're seeing ourselves living in the days of Noah, and it's pointing to the second coming of Jesus Christ. If you needed any more material on this, if you're doubting about the violence and the sexual perversion, I'm sure you caught it in the news. Bill Cosby got arrested yesterday, right? And he still has to go to court and go through the whole process and I'm not saying that, that he's guilty, but just reading the reports of what he is, is being accused of, I'm like Bill Cosby generation through and through. I mean, Thursday nights was the Cosby show in our house. You know, it's like, he's like a personal hero, great guy, from what I could tell, really funny. And it's a shock to the system to see him in this place uh, and being on trial for these things. So there's there's more material than I could ever go into on this, unfortunately. I think it's proof of the signs of the times that we live in. Daniel 12, verse 4. This is one of my favorite signs of the times. It's the explosion of knowledge and travel. This is what's said. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. So he's saying, this message is not until the time of the end, and this is how you know it'll be the time of the end, many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. So travel is going to increase, and knowledge is going to increase. Up until about 150 years ago, the fastest way to travel was on your horse. And now we go hundreds of miles an hour. You can travel the globe in a day. You can get on a plane this evening and be in Europe in, in eight hours. And then be back the the next day. If you really wanted to go get a cappuccino over in Europe, you could and be back in the same day. Isn't that crazy? That's some crazy talk. And now travel's even gotten a little bit more crazier. You don't even have to go. You can just FaceTime it, right? Why why have that meeting in Europe when you can use Skype? You can use FaceTime. And all you're you're there. I mean, travel is just, we become so, so connected. It's completely mind-blowing. And then knowledge increasing. We see with computers, it's just, it's just crazy how knowledge has increased in just a short period of time. I'm, I'm going to be transparent with you guys. It's, it's New Year's Eve. In 2016, it's going to be my 20th anniversary of graduating high school. Woo! Time flies. 20 whole years, right? Well, what was happening in computers and technology when I was in high school is you got internet for the very first time in your home. Now, all you young people are like, what? You didn't grow up with internet? No, it came on the scene when I was in high school. We got a gateway computer with dial-up internet. And literally, when I first started going on the internet, there was not much there at all. There, there was hardly anything that was even out there to be able to, to look up. And, and now you see the amazing explosion that has taken place. There's an article where they took an iPhone 6 
and they compared it to the first Mac computer that came out. And this is what they wrote. It says, there's a lot of uh, different ways to measure computing power, which makes this question more complicated than it sounds. For example, the original Mac only had one 400K floppy drive. Do you guys remember floppy disks, right? Look it up if you don't know what it is. So the base model iPhone 6 has about 40,000 times as much storage and can access it several thousand times faster. 40,000 times as much storage and can access it several thousand times faster. Words cannot even begin to communicate how knowledge has increased. You don't know something? You don't have to be curious about it anymore. You just ask Siri. You don't know how to spell something? Don't sweat it. Just ask Siri, right? You don't know how to get somewhere? Who needs directions anymore? You just ask Siri, right? It's almost taken the curiosity all the way out of life. You ever been having one of those conversations where you're like, well, I wonder, and then they whip out their phone and they look it up, and you're like, no, that's not what I wanted you to do. I wanted to wonder a little bit, you know? I wanted, to, I wanted to guess a little bit. But there's been this explosion of knowledge and explosion of travel. If you look accurately at history, maybe you're a skeptic tonight and you're saying, I don't believe that the Bible is, is prophetic. Well, Daniel wrote this such a long time ago and we're now living in the time where it's being fulfilled and we see these signs of the times. Another sign of the times is Revelation 13, verses 16 and 17. It's the prophecy of the mark of the beast. It says, He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads, and that no one may buy or sell except one has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Think about for all of the generations that have read Scripture that have thought without this mark, you can't buy or sell. And it was not even fathomable how that could be possible. Generations past, buying and selling was bartering system. You know, I'll give you these eggs and, and you give me this meat in return and those type of things. And then cash comes into play. But we live now in a time where all of the technology is in place for there to be a mark that then would be able to have everything that you do to buy and to sell. And once again, in a year's period of time, this has rapidly been been fulfilled. Now, don't misunderstand this, because I'm going to give some illustrations, but I'm not saying that they're the mark of the beast, okay? So don't freak out and not use them. But I am pointing out that the technology is there. Now, inside of your smartphones, if you have a smartphone... Well, if you don't have a smartphone, you have a dumb phone, which is fine too, but whatever. If you, if, you have a, if you have a smartphone, you can put things like Google Wallet on it or, or Apple Pay, so you don't even have to carry around a credit card anymore. You don't have to carry around a debit card. It, it, it does its thing and keeps track of your, your bank account and it pays. You've probably noticed on your debit card or your credit card, if you've gotten a new one this year, that there is a chip that is embedded in the debit card and the credit card. Why? Because it's making things more secure. All the technology is there inside of that chip and everything is transferred in and through that chip. If you think this is just happening in the developing world, it's happening in the third world as well. In Uganda and Kenya, they're going away from cash. 
and they're doing all of their transactions through their cell phones. They never had landlines there. And so they have great cell phone technology and they do their banking through their cell phone accounts and cash is going away in Kenya and Uganda. Sweden is about on the brink of doing away with cash altogether. 95% of all of their transactions currently are happening without cash and their government is actually considering not even making currency anymore. It's very possible our kids and our grandkids will grow up in a world that has ca- without cash because the, the capability is completely there. And it shows us the signs of the times that we're rushing towards Revelation chapter 13. This is my last verse on the signs of the times, and then we're going to look at understanding his coming. So understanding of the times, understanding of the signs. I think this verse really sums up the day that we live in and pointing to the soon return of Jesus Christ. It's 2 Timothy 3, verse 1. But know this, in the last days, perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God. Could you write a better paragraph to describe our culture? That's our culture. We're living in the last times. And you're saying, I thought this was going to be a message of hope. (laughs) Doesn't seem very hopeful to me. I was a little bit fearful before I came in here, and now I'm a lot fearful, right? (laughs) Why would God give us these signs? Why we, this is his word that we've been reading. It's the way that he's defined it because he wants our eyes to be on the prize and that's the second coming of Jesus Christ. God's story that he has done, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, all points to the second coming of Jesus Christ. What we're looking for and we're longing for is for Christ's return. So we're gonna end tonight with understanding his coming from the last chapter in the Bible. Last chapters are important. Conclusions are are important. And this is the way that God sums up his word. There's three times in this one chapter where Jesus himself says that he is coming quickly, that he's coming soon. And for us tonight, as we've looked at these signs, as we seek to understand time, that we would focus our attention upon the coming of Jesus Christ. I'm primarily going to read this chapter, and I hope that it encourages you and it refreshes you, and you look forward to the coming of Jesus Christ. So this is verse 1 of Revelation 22. And he showed me a pure river of water, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. And in the middle of its streets, and on the either side of the river, was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. And you thought the fruit of the month club was lame. (laughs) In heaven, there's the fruit of the month from the tree of life. It's actually going to be good. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. We long for the healing of the nations, but this is ultimately going to happen at the throne room of God. And there shall be no more curse, the curse that came from the fall. But the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it, 
and his servants shall serve him. They shall see his face, and his name shall be on their forehead. There shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. No night. Constant light from the face of Jesus Christ, reigning with Christ, reigning forever. Then he said to me, these words are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show his servant the things which must shortly take place. Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Now I, John, saw and heard these things. And when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. He gets mixed up. He's, he's worshiping the messenger. Then he said to me, see that you not, do not do that, for I'm your fellow servant and of your brethren the prophets and those who keep the words of this book, worship God. And he said to me, do not seal the words of the prophecy of this book for the time is at hand. So unlike what was told to Daniel, seal this up. What's told to John is, is don't seal it up because the time's at hand. This is gonna happen soon. He who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He who's holy, let him be holy still. What's being communicated here is you're gonna act according to your nature. If you know Christ as your savior, Christ lives in you, and that's gonna be, be lived out. We're not gonna be perfect, but the nature of Christ is gonna be lived out. But if someone doesn't know Christ and they don't repent, they're gonna continue in that wickedness. In verse 12, behold, I am coming quickly and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Alpha and omega, the first letter of the Greek is alpha, the last is omega. What he's communicating is I'm the beginning and the end, I'm everything in between. God is time, he owns time. Blessed are those who do his commandments that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. But outside are dogs and sorcerers and sexual and moral and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices a lie. Is John communicating a workspace salvation that it's only through works that you're saved? No, we're saved through grace, but that grace is evident in our lives. It's not that a believer ever struggles with these things, but it's talking about living in an unrepentant lifestyle without having any guilt, without having any conviction of change. And I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. And here's the response of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and the church, the bride. And the Spirit and the bride say, come, and let him who hears say, come. And let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take of the water of life freely. This is beautiful and it's powerful. Our response to the signs of the times is Jesus, come. Jesus, I'm ready. That's what I long for. Jesus, I love you. I can't wait to see you. Yeah, I would love to see my kids grow up. Love to see what you, you would have for them. It'd be neat to, to grow old. Some of you that are single are saying, Jesus, you can come after I get married. Yeah. 
You can come after I graduate college. But even beyond all of that and all those desires is, Jesus, if you want to come, you come right now. You come tonight. You're the best. You're the ultimate. You're what I look forward to. If you come before the new year, praise the Lord. That's our desire. That's what we're longing for. It's better than the Broncos being in the, in the playoffs. Lord, you come. You know, that, it's better than that. You come. That, that's our heart. That's the, the cry of our heart is, is you, Jesus, come. But also notice, not only are we desiring Jesus to come, but we are coming to him in this present state. That there is living water that's accessible for the times that we live in. Notice at the end of this verse, it says, and let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him come. Take the water of life freely. I, I was driving here this morning in my, in my car on Academy Boulevard, just praying, saying, Jesus, I need living water. I need living water. I feel broken. I feel cracked. I need that. Would you please just pour that into my heart and pour that into my life? And do you feel that tonight? You're saying, all the joys of life, all the hardships of life, everything in between, Jesus, I just need you. And you promise living water. So I'm coming to you asking for living water. And God graciously, abundantly provides that living water until he comes. But we've got to come. We've got to come and drink and, and thirst for it. In verse 18, for I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, from the things which are written in this book. So don't mess with God's word. He who testifies to these things says, surely I come quickly. Jesus, the third time, says, I am coming quickly. From Christ's perspective, he doesn't lie. And he's, he's the creator of time, as he's the Alpha and the Omega, and he sees all of eternity. To John, who's lived almost 2,000 years ago, he's saying, I'm coming quickly. So, well, what is it? Did Jesus lie? It's 2,000 years later. It's a matter of perspective. And from his perspective, he's coming very soon. So if he was coming quickly, and that was his message to John, how much closer are we to that tonight? at the end of 2015. When it's all wrapped up, when it's all said and done, when we're entered into eternity, we're gonna say, Jesus, you came quickly. But from on this side of eternity, it's like, <laughs> feels like forever. But when all things are wrapped up, it's quickly. But this is Christ's message. Say, I'm coming quickly. I'm coming quickly. And here's the response of the church. Amen. What does that mean? It means so be it. I'm in agreement, right on, amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus, I'm ready for you to come. The grace, the, the Bible ends with grace. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. God's unearned, undeserved, unmerited favor be upon you. I don't know why, I'm not sure. I haven't come to the conclusion, but it seems like in the heart of believers, mine included, it's very easy to lose sight of the second coming of Jesus Christ. We lose sight of it. I lose sight of it. I get excited about it for a season. My eyes are fixed upon the second coming of Jesus Christ. Then I get distracted. In our experience, this is all we know. 
And what we've experienced is generations come and they go. Generations come and they go. People are born and they die. Life just continues on in the way that it's been, but creation's groaning, saying, this is temporary. And for us, by faith, to lay hold of the word of God because I believe that it's extremely powerful if we live in the faith and expectation of the second coming of Jesus Christ. And Jesus told us, he taught us, be watching and be ready. Be watching, be ready for my return. There is a a special crown, Paul tells us in writing to Timothy, for those that love his appearing. Church, that's the easiest reward in all of scripture. All you gotta do is love his appearing. All you gotta do is say, Jesus, I can't wait for you to show up. And that touches the heart of Christ. And he says, I've got a special crown for you. This is what I believe happens when we're understanding his coming, when we're looking forward to his coming. It produces a level of purity in our lives. Because we know that Christ is with us. And that should produce purity in our lives in and of ourselves. But for him to literally come back in bodily form, we don't want to be caught doing things we shouldn't when Christ shows up. When Christ literally comes in the clouds and calls up the church, I don't want to be caught watching some movie that I'm ashamed of. I shouldn't be watching that movie anyway because he's with me. But even more so to have that happen when the rapture of the church comes. And if you're questioning if the coming of Jesus Christ produces a certain level of purity, think, think about it this way. Is this fall, my wife, she went out to Kansas City for a week to visit her aunt. Her, her aunt's going through a battle with, with cancer, and so she went to help take care of her after her surgery. So I watched the kids for a week, and we did, we did well, but the house was not kept in the same manner in which it is when Amber's home. Dads, can I get an amen? You know what I'm saying? So I knew when Amber was leaving, wives are looking at their husbands like, I can give an amen, right? And and I, she called, I'm leaving at this time, and I, I did the mileage. I, it was 603 miles. I, I did the average of how fast she would, she would probably go and with, with some stops, and I knew about when she was going to come back. And so we were ready, and the house was clean, and we, we wanted her to come home to an orderly house after a week of, of hard work. But what if she would have come back two weeks or two days sooner without notice? we would have not been caught in a clean state, right? And so her coming produced a, a level of purity. And it's the same way with Jesus Christ. If we believe that he's coming, it's gonna produce purity in our lives. But it also produces hope. It also produces hope. There's a lot of things that we can be uncertain about. And there's a lot of things that we can be discouraged about. But when we're looking to the second coming of Jesus Christ, it brings hope into our lives, that constant expectation of coming good. I don't know what's going to happen this year, but I know Jesus is coming. And my hope is set upon the coming of Jesus Christ. And when I'm looking to the second coming of Jesus Christ, it puts things into perspective, and I need that. And all of a sudden, it brings us back to that place of, Jesus, I want to be near to you. I want to draw near to you. I want to walk with you. I want to hear your voice, be in your word. I want to share your love. I want to be ready for your coming. I want my loved ones to be ready for your coming. I want to share the love of Jesus Christ with others. God wants to use your life. He is using your life. And for us to to trust that and keep that in mind, then all of a sudden we go, it really doesn't matter what car I drive. 
It doesn't matter how much money's in the bank or isn't in the bank. You know, my house really isn't the most important thing. That, and all of a sudden, things get put into their proper perspective. So we're going to take communion tonight. And as we prepare for communion, I don't want to assume that everybody knows Christ as their Savior. I want to give you the opportunity to respond to God's love. Jesus, he died for our sins. And Romans 5, 8 tells us, but God demonstrated his love towards us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Did you hear that? Christ died for you when you didn't want anything to do with him. He died for your sins. He rose again. And being prepared for his second coming, being prepared to die and stand before Christ is believing and trusting in what Christ has done upon the cross. Turning from your sin, turning to Jesus. Jesus, save me. Be the Lord of my life. Jesus is real. And he stands at the door of your heart and your life and he knocks. I'm gonna give you an opportunity to raise your hand, to raise it high and say, Jesus, I wanna be your child. I'm trusting you for salvation. I want you to be the Lord of my life. We want to give you a new believer's packet. We want to give you a Bible, answer questions that you'd have and pray for you. And also want to give opportunity if you're a believer and you've walked away from the Lord and you go, you know what? The spirit of God is just tugging on my heart. I'm not where I used to be. I've left my first love. I'm not, I don't even care about the second coming of Jesus Christ. This whole, whole message, all I've been is, is doubting everything that was, that was said. I remember when I used to be excited about the second coming of Jesus Christ. And God's tugging on your heart and saying, I love you. I miss you. Do you know God missed the prodigal? The father is represented. The son went away, squandered his inheritance. And the father was looking every day because he missed his son, the, the ultimate father, the heavenly father misses you and longs for you to come back. And you might be saying, can I really come back? And he's saying, absolutely. He's ready to welcome you back into fellowship. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond as well. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that you would do that work of salvation in hearts, that you would communicate your love and for the need to trust you for salvation. For those that need to come back to you, God, we, we pray that Today would be the day, tonight would be the night that they would run back to you. If you'd like to receive Christ and put your faith in Christ for the first time, you've, you've never trusted Christ for salvation and you feel led to do that, would you raise your hand and would you raise it high and just leave it up? I'm gonna say a prayer with you. We'll wait for a few moments. And now if you know Christ as your savior, and you need to get right with the Lord, you need to come back to the Lord, would you raise your hand and acknowledge what God's doing in your heart? Praise the Lord, I see your hand there. Anybody else that says that's me? Praise God, I see hands here. Praise the Lord, I see hands in the back. This is between you and the Lord. Lift your hand to the Lord. I'm gonna pray for you. Father, you see the hearts, you see the hands that are raised, and as they're just expressing that they need to come back to you, get back to their first love. Thank you for their boldness, to respond to you, God, would you run to them? Would you communicate your grace to them, your love, your forgiveness? Minister to their hearts in a great way. Fill them afresh with your spirit. Protect them from the lies of the enemy. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. We're gonna take communion and we're gonna do this in a little bit different way is we're not gonna come up uh, to the tables as we're gonna serve you. The men are coming to, to serve you in communion. And I, I'd encourage you, don't get antsy. Don't, don't get to that place where you're like, man, I've already kind of sat for a long time and I'm hungry. What am I gonna do, do next? And just stop. This is the most important part 
of this service tonight is Christ is here. He wants to meet with you. And as the elements are passed, stop and reflect on what Jesus has done on the cross, his death for you. Stop and allow your heart to be ministered to. Ask God to reveal things that he wants to show you, sin that he wants us to confess, encouragement that he wants to give you. Studying the word is so important, but you know what? The word is for the purpose of bringing us into relationship with Jesus Christ, amen? So we can study till we're blue in the face if we don't enter into that relationship and be still, reflect upon this year, allow the Holy Spirit to speak in to this new year. And then once everybody is served, we'll partake together. So let's wait upon the Lord.